welcome to the Daily Reprieve, where we provide essays, speaker meetings, workshops, and conferences in podcast format. We are an ad-free podcast. If you enjoy listening, please help us be self-supporting by going to donate.thedailyreprieve.com and drop a dollar or two into the virtual basket. Please consider donating monthly by clicking the Donate Monthly button. However, one-time donations are always welcome. Just click the Donate Now button. Now, without further ado, this episode of The Daily Reprieve. Howdy. Welcome to this meeting of Sexaholics Anonymous. My name is Craig from San Antonio, and I will be your facilitator for this session. I'm also joined by Mike C. from Chicago. The name of this meeting is Finding Your Higher Power, Why a God of Our Understanding. Please take a moment to silence all of your electronic devices. If you need to use yours during this meeting, please take it outside. We ask that you not make any personal recording of this meeting. Please join me in a moment of silence for the sexaholic that still suffers, followed by the serenity prayer. Serenity prayer. God. Grant me the serenity to accept the things I cannot change, courage to change the things I can, and the wisdom to know the difference. Thy will not mine be done. In the spirit of carrying the essay message, this meeting is being recorded. If you are not sure your share will be appropriate on the topic, please participate by listening. The recording equipment will not be turned off for any reason. If you wish to share, please speak directly into the microphone so the listener can follow you. If you wish not to be recorded, we invite you to participate by listening or attending another session. Please do not touch any of the recording equipment. And um, I guess we'll get started. Again, this is a topic on God of my understanding, and I'll ask Mike if he can start. Oh, okay. Thanks. Hi, everybody. I'm Mike, Recovering Sexaholic. Glad I'm here sober today through God's grace and you people. And... Uh, Good to be in San Antonio, so thanks for hosting us. Um, yeah, well, let me let me start with uh, a meeting I attended when I was young uh, of another fellowship. Uh, they would read how it works at the beginning of every meeting, and uh, but when this one guy was here, and he usually was, he was a retired Chicago police lieutenant. His name was Mike L. And Mike would recite how it works from memory whenever he was there. And if he was there, no one else was asked to do how it works. That was Mike's job. And he would recite it from memory. And he'd get to the third step and he'd say, made a decision to turn our will and our lives over to the care of God as we understood him. And then he'd bang his fist on the table and say, or as we don't understand him. <laughs> you kind of wait for this every week. It was kind of like, you know, the highlight to hear Mike and he was always chewing an unlit cigar, too. In those days, you could do that kind of thing in a meeting. <laughs> so anyways, um, I don't know how much I understand or don't understand about a power greater than myself, but I can just maybe share some of my own experience, strength, and hope, and you'll just tell me when I'm supposed to shut up because I have no idea. Um, so, um, you know, uh, I came into uh, SA in the 80s. I was... Uh, sober in another program, and then I got sober in another S program before SA came to Chicago. And um, 
and then about two years sober, two years sexually sober approximately, SA came to Chicago and I started going to SA meetings on a regular basis. Um, and, um, you know, I didn't know, I didn't know how to stay sober, but somehow I was staying sober. I didn't really know what I was doing. And to be honest, there wasn't, there was no such thing as an old timer in those days. The program itself was probably only, I don't know, three, four, five years old, something like that. And, uh, and in Chicago, there was just a bunch of us, you know, there might have been a couple guys with a few months more than me, and that was it. So we just, you know, didn't know what we were doing. Um, but I, I, I was telling a guy I had trouble with looks. You know, I would, I would look at people, and I would be triggered, and um, I didn't know how to stop. And he said to me, uh, "Have you ever tried walking down the street looking at the sidewalk instead of looking up?" And I thought that was kind of a dumb idea. I said, I said, I've looked, you know, I've occasionally noticed there's a sidewalk in front of me, but I don't stare at the sidewalk when I walk down the street. He says, well, that's what I want you to do. He said, now, when you get to a corner, you can look up and make sure no car is going to hit you when you cross the street. But other than that, I'd like you to look at the ground instead of looking up and see if you find yourself triggered less often. And I started trying that, and I found out that my, my number of times per day I was getting triggered went down like, you know, a huge percentage, more than 50%. I was just like, wow. This is a good idea. So I did that for years. Eventually learned, I eventually got sober enough that I could walk down the street most days now. I don't have to look at the sidewalk. But I know how for those days when I do. Now what that has to do with God, to me, it was that I was willing to take direction from some guy who probably had about three minutes more sobriety than I did. But he had an idea. I thought it was stupid. And I did it anyway. And uh, that is my limit understanding of a higher power is if I try to do things on my own without benefit of counsel, uh, and I'm not talking about, I know how to brush my teeth without benefit of counsel. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about anything that could lead me into lust. And what can lead me into lust? What I look at, what I hear, uh who I relate to or misrelate to, <laughs> uh, what I desire, what I want, any of that kind of stuff. Uh, left to my own devices, uh, historically, I've made the wrong decisions. And uh, when I started trusting that people in this group, like yourselves, might have a better idea than I did, and that if I listened to what they said and tried it out, because I can always, you know, you can always have your misery refunded. But if I tried it out, um, whether I thought it was a good idea or not, that that somehow that had something to do with coming to believe for me that a power greater than myself could restore me to sanity, because it was a power greater than myself. To, you know, I grew up with two rules. Number one, I didn't trust anybody, and number two, if I had to trust anybody, it was going to be me. I didn't really trust myself that much, but I trusted myself more than I trusted any of you. And so that was my rule. And I had to turn that rule on its head when I came into SA. I had to start trusting other people. And by doing that, you know, that for me was a way of trusting my God, was to say, I just don't know what the path is here, but this group seems to be starting to get sober, 
you know, we, we were starting to stay sober. Not everybody, of course, but a number of people were starting to stay sober. So I just started thinking, let's hear their ideas. Let's do them. You know, one of the things early on was uh, to tell the absolute truth every day to another member about what I was thinking and feeling. The good, the bad, and the ugly. And I always say with a heavy emphasis on the bad and the ugly because the good, you know, is fine, but I'm not usually having problems with the good. <laughs> I'm having problems with the bad and the ugly. So somebody, I don't remember who, said every day talk to somebody, tell them the truth about what you're thinking and feeling. And I try to do that in prayer every day to my God directly. Um, but for me, that's that's not enough. For me, I, I need me, God, and another human being, which is exactly actually what it says in the fifth step. Is that you know we we really need to talk about our wrongs to God ourselves and another human being, um, and I just started doing that, and my life started getting better, you know, and uh, I remember a guy pulling me uh, up after a meeting because I was saying I'm not really sure things are getting better, and they say things will get better, and he looked at me and he said you misunderstand things may or may not get better. Some days things are going to get better, and, and like every other human, uh, whoever lives, someday you're going to die, and that, you might not be too happy about that. So things are going to get better, and things are going to get worse. But if you tell the truth every day about what you're thinking and feeling and wanting to do and not wanting to do to another member, you'll get better whether things get better or not. And that really helped me, because I think I was looking for... And I still do, to be honest. You know, I still have to watch it every day. There's a place somewhere, I think it's in the 12 and 12, but it might be in the big book, but wherever. There's, there's, there's a place somewhere that talks about, I had always wanted to change conditions to meet, I don't know the exact words, meet my desires or whatever. And, and I had to realize I had to change myself to meet conditions. Uh, and that's, that's a lot of my prayer. A lot of my prayer is, uh, God help me. I'll give you an example from this morning. We we were up in Fredericksburg, Texas, which is a little bit about an hour north of here. My wife and I, and I got up this morning and I had to check in with the office back in Chicago. I had a plan for this check-in. It was, hello assistant, it's me. Everything's good? Great. See you Monday. You know, uh, it didn't go that way. She said, I got a client on the other line. He's, he's not too happy. Something, there's a problem. I said, oh, does he want to talk to me? Well, I kind of told him you're, you're, you're out, so you don't have to talk to him. I said, well, what's the problem? She tells me. I says, I, I says, it sounds like you can handle that. Yeah, she says, I think I can. I says, all right, I'll call you back in a few minutes. And, and I said to my wife, I said, as long as the guy's, the client's wife doesn't get on the phone, we'll be okay, because she's a real problem. I called back 10 minutes later. The wife's on the line now. <laughs> Thankfully, I have a great assistant. She said, listen, you're on vacation. Don't worry about it. I'll, I'll handle it. Call me back in another 10 minutes. Well, while all this is going on, i I, I got to handle this work call. i got to call my two sponsors because I call my two sponsors every day. And then i got to call somebody else. I can't even remember who the heck it was. Maybe it was something to do with the convention. So my wife says, well, I'll go out and pack the car and give you some space. So... Her idea of going out and packing the car and giving me some space is to come in four times while I'm on the phone. Mm -hmm. Now, I teased my wife a lot. I said, you know, I've known you 40 years and you've never made it out the door the first time yet, which is slightly an exaggeration, <laughs> but at least from my perspective, not that much. Now, you, you could find her in an SNN meeting later and she might give you another version of that. But anyways, so, you know, my prayer is real simple right then. 
My prayer is, if I can make it through the work call to get to the sponsor without killing the wife, then I am a real spiritual giant and God's working in my life. But if I open my big mouth and say something impatient, then my program for this moment, it, uh, I've got to clean up the language here on tape, it stinks. And um, I did pretty good. I give myself an A-, minus, but on that fourth time in, when she looked up at me and smiled, I didn't smile back. Now, that may seem like a small thing, and in a way it is, but in a way it's not, because she knew by me not smiling back that I was communicating that I was not pleased that she'd come in the fourth time. All she's trying to do is pack the car and give me the space to make the phone calls I need to make. But my my, I want to change conditions. And my condition was, stay the hell out of here till I'm done. <laughs> and, uh, you know... So for me, um, you know, my spiritual practices, I get up every day, uh, I read from uh, program literature, and I read from literature uh, from my faith, you know. Uh, and to be honest, I don't judge the quality of my reading, because I suspect about 75% of the days, if you ask me 10 minutes after I read both those readings, what they were, I probably wouldn't remember. I'm up to about 25% that I probably would remember. It used to be about 10. So I am getting better very slowly. But it doesn't matter. The point is that I do it. I try to make a connection with a power greater than myself every morning, first thing. And not first time. I mean, I hit the bathroom or whatever. But, you know, once I get settled, I grab those two books. Uh, and then I call my two sponsors. And I try to remember, and they'll remind me if I don't remember enough days in a row, to tell the absolute truth about what's going on. Because, you know, I sponsor a lot of people, and I get a lot of calls like, you know, I had a little lust today. Okay, you, you just said hello to me, and you're already lying. Any of us who've had a little lust, what the hell are you doing in a Sexaholics Anonymous meeting if you had a little lust? <laughs> we had a lot of lust. <laughs> that's, what's why we, that's why we're here this weekend, my friends. Uh, you know, and so I, but I can catch myself wanting to say something so that I can tell myself I told you without really telling you, you know, and I'm sure some of you can probably relate to that. Well, I want to talk around it. I want to kind of divulge it, but I don't want to really tell you what's going on in my head because sometimes it's not very pretty in, in my head. I was a meeting in Phoenix, Arizona years and years ago, and I'll never forget this guy because he, he, he said, he said it in a way that just cut right through me. He said, I got a garbage head. My head is full of garbage, a significant portion of the time. And, um, and that's me. I, I can be going just great and the slightest thing can go wrong and my mood shifts and I get dark. And the next thing you know, I'm thinking bad thoughts. Then I'm thinking lustful thoughts. Maybe let's throw in some violent thoughts. And really, it's not very pretty in there. But I believe that my God wants me to look bad in front of you, not good. Because if I have to look good in front of you, and you know, that temptation grows the longer you're sober, I think, to look good. And it's a disaster from my point of view. Because if I have to look good, then sooner or later, and usually it's sooner, <laughs> I have to start lying. Maybe not outright lies, but I just have to fudge a little bit and tell you, well, yeah, I had a little lust this morning. 
You know, that's why I had to tell you. You know, my wife, she, this morning, she committed this very, very serious sin of trying to help me get my phone calls done by getting the bags out. But she didn't do it in one try, which was my plan, or two or three. It took her four. I mean, this is serious. This is divorce material, as I'm sure you can see. And, you know, I, I had to tell you, I wanted to kill her. I'm thinking, I'd like to throw her out the window. I love, by the way, that this is going to be on tape, and I'm really grateful my wife never listens to my tapes. <laughs> I sometimes get this stupid idea. I said, hey, honey, I got the tapes from the last convention. Want to listen to one of my talks? Completely forgetting the, the things that I've said. But anyway, she'd just laugh anyway. But, um, you know, uh, so a God of my own understanding, uh, like I said at the beginning, I'm not sure how much I understand but I absolutely, I'm not sure how people will ask me, how strong is your faith? I don't know. I have no idea if it's strong or if it's weak. It's been good enough to keep me sober, thank God. And, um, you know, the one thing I absolutely believe is that there is a God. I'm not Him, although that confusing that is the source of many of my troubles. I'm not Him, and He speaks for you people. If I hear something in a meeting, I have just much more faith in it than if I heard the same thing on the street. Why that is, I don't know. But I do believe, I'm not saying I think God only speaks through meetings. I'm sure God is big enough to speak wherever and however he or she wants to. But um, for me, when I'm at a meeting listening, uh, I feel connected uh, to a power greater than myself. And I try to submit to that power by doing what you folks tell me on a regular basis. So with that, I pass. Okay, my name is Craig. I'm a gratefully recovering sexaholic. You know, I left my house this morning to be here about 7.30. I live five minutes away. Um, I prepared all these notes for this meeting. And um, so I left and I got here. And then I found out that I didn't bring my notes with me. My notes were still at home. So I... Uh, I went right, right back, and on the way back, I said to myself, well, this is a meeting on God. Why do I need notes? I love God. God loves me, and I've got the proof of that. So when we talk about a God of my understanding, um, before, um, when I was, um, first of all, I, I believe I was born with this disease. How do I know that? My brother, who I lived with for 18 years in a little apartment in New York City, um, Grew, grew up with him. He was beaten by my dad. Uh, he went to Vietnam. He saw some pretty heavy stuff. He's married 47 years with two, two beautiful kids and four beautiful grandkids. I didn't go through any of that. I'm a sexaholic. He's not. I believe I was born with that. And the reason why I think that's an advantage for me is that if I have all these reasons why I resent my dad, my mom, all these people, and I blame them for my disease, how can I do that if I was born with it? They're not the ones responsible for how I act. Um, I am. Um, and I didn't realize that until about 10 years ago when I, when I joined um, SA in Chicago, actually. Uh, moved there and then um, moved down to San Antonio. And I still didn't believe it for another seven years. I've been in this program for about 11 years now and sober for a little bit more than three. But I wanted to take this topic because God has done some things for me that I've not ever done for myself. 
And I say that um, about, we talk about miracles. I have over a little over three years of sobriety. And Mike has 33 years of sobriety. That's 10 times as much. I believe that the only difference between me and Mike is that he has 10 times as many miracles as I have. I just haven't seen all the miracles yet. But I've seen enough in my life to realize that God is there for me. Um, it says in the big book that God is stronger than lust. Well, I know I'm powerless over lust. So, God, so lust is stronger than me. That means that God is stronger than me. Um, and when people are starting to look for God and they're, you know, in all the wrong places, um, whether it's in strip clubs or on the street or on the computer, you know, I'm looking for a higher power there. Um, and he's with me, but he's not with me when I'm doing those things. He's only with me when I'm sober. I've learned that for the last three and a half years. Um, you know, so I believe that God doesn't have to get any bigger. I have to get smaller. I have to get this ego and let it dissipate because every time I use my ego, every time I try to be in control, I got into trouble. And I'll give you many examples of that. I can't do that in, in 10 minutes, but I, but I just remember every time I got into trouble, whether I was out doing what I was doing when I went to a strip club or when I was on the street looking for, you know, assistance for me, um, when I was looking at pornography, um, you know, and I thought I was going to get in trouble, whether it could be an STD or whatever, um, I said, please, God, please, God, help me, help me. You know, these foxhole prayers really work for me because I never got an STD. I never got arrested. I did get into trouble, but I survived. I'm here, correct? Well, if that could happen every time I said that about God, then why can't I believe in God every day, every hour of the day? It says um, to turn your will and your life over to the care of God. Well, if you look in, you know, in a dictionary, and to define the word of God, now, what care means, I'm sorry, it means that you don't have to worry. Care means you don't have to worry. Well, how would you like to live a life where you don't have to worry? How would you like to live a, a life when every time you ask for God, he's there? That's the God of my understanding. He's my friend. I can walk in the, in the sand on the beach, and typically when you're walking in the sand, you have two sets of footsteps. Well, there's only one set of footsteps. It's his because he's carrying me down, the, down that beach. Um, it says also in the big book, can't remember what page, but it talks about being the director, the producer, being in charge, being in control. Well, that's what, that was me for my entire life. I wanted to be the director, the producer. I wanted to take the tickets at the box office. I wanted to let everybody into my life who I wanted into my life. Unfortunately, the theater was empty. Nobody came anymore because I was a director. I stopped being the director. When my kids stopped talking to me after three divorces, um, and my kids stopped talking to me four years ago, I'm not going to tell you the circumstances of why that happened, but they had good reason to do it. Um, I got sober on that day. I said, I'm not just desperate anymore. I am hopeless. Desperation is a great word except that desperation is temporary. I'm desperate, and then I'm not desperate. Then I'm desperate, then I'm not desperate. Hopeless, I can't get out of hopelessness until I, until I totally change my attitude and my behavior. And that means I have to believe in a power greater than myself. 
That's my conception of God. When you're hopeless. And I pray that, you know, the people here in the convention and when we do the, um, you know, the serenity prayer, you know, for the sexaholic that's still out there, well, you guys, you guys and, and we are not out there anymore. We don't have to have a moment of silence anymore. They do, but as they come into the program, they don't need a moment of silence. It's very difficult to accept God, particularly the God that I used to understand. I was, you know, born in New York, uh, in, in the Jewish face, I had a bar mitzvah, I learned how to speak Hebrew, it's really great, except my troubles never dissipated, never went away. Um, and I prayed, but it didn't matter, because I wasn't at the stage where I wanted to accept anything more greater than, you know, greater than me. I was in charge, constantly. Um, so I realized today that God loves me unconditionally. I've got the miracles today. Six months ago, my son called me. Called me after three and a half years of not speaking with me. I didn't do anything. All I did was send birthday cards to my grandkids, send birthday cards to them, try to call, and never got return phone calls. And I just said, I can't even control this, but I have to do the next right thing. I had to show my love to my kids, okay? And all of a sudden, he called me and said, Dad, I love you. I miss you. I need you in my life. Um, how did that happen? I called my ex-wife. Of 20 years, um, we were divorced. I called her and I said, I need your help. Can you help me with this? And he said, Craig, she said, Craig, I can't help you. Um, it's up to them to decide whether or not, because they're 33, 36 years old. And, um, and I just kept praying, stayed sober, did the next right thing, went to meetings, I talked to other people in the fellowship because what Mike said is true. You need God and you need another human being. Other people who have gotten their kids back in their lives. Um, and three and a half years ago, he called me. And I talked to him. And it was like nothing ever happened. He says, I don't want to talk about the past, God, Dad. He became spiritual. He was an atheist. He read a book. He became spiritual. Um, I don't know how it happened. He didn't tell me how it happened. He just started talking spiritually to me. And that was great because this is a spiritual program and I was ready for that. Um, on, Monday, on Monday of New Year's Day, my daughter called me. We had four years. And she said, Dad, can I... Can I um, she texted me first. She said, Dad, can I talk to you? When can I talk to you? I said, any time. And she called me, and it was as if nothing ever happened. It's all about fear, you know? It's all about a belief. It's all about saying, Uncle, I'm done. I'm done. It's really, really hard to do that. I know, because we have this disease. Um, but it worked for me. That was the best year of my life, is this year, this past year. That New Year's Day, I'll never forget when she called me and said, I don't want to talk about the past. Oh, my God. A hundred pounds was lifted off my shoulders. And um, I don't believe in luck. You know, I said in my fellowship, I told this story in my fellowship, and everybody said, Craig, you're really lucky. I don't believe in luck, and I don't believe in coincidence. There is a power out there, and I never thought I would say this today. There is a power out there that's greater than me. And as Mike said, it's not me. It's not me. 
So when I'm, if I know that I'm born with this disease, and I can't say that for everybody, but for me, I was born with this disease, and, and all these miracles are happening in my life, and I had nothing to do with it, that's the God of my understanding. I just wait. Sometimes, you know, um, I have seven sponsees now, and they talk about their you know, wives and having difficulty with their wives, and I just tell them to do the opposite of what I used to do. <laughs> just do the opposite. And what is that? When I get into it, when they get into an argument with my wife, I said, keep your big mouth shut. Keep your mouth shut. Tell them they may be right. Keep your mouth shut. Okay? And after a while, and it's really true, I can't say it's true for everybody, but for most people, they'll start feeling the guilt of screaming and yelling at you. But when you yell back, you're feeding into the disease. You're feeding into their disease. Um, and you just keep, keep quiet. And it's really hard because we're full of pride, full of shame, full of fear. Um, but it works. This program works. Get a sponsor. Call a lot of people. For those of you who are new in the program, it works. If you want it to work. But everything in this program has to do with willingness. Willingness to believe in a God. Willingness to pump the meetings. Willingness to make this the most important thing in your life. Um, God is... God is everything, or he is nothing. And for me, he's everything. I have the evidence to prove it today. Where before, I didn't care about the evidence, and today I do. And thanks for letting me share. Um, so at this point, um, we say this is a Q&A, and it can be if you'd like it to be. Um, but because this is taped, we're going to ask those of you who have more than five years of experience. We'd like to stay in the solution today. We want this to be more of a teaching convention than a just a problem convention. We want to stay in the solution. So for those of you who would like to share about your experience with God, if you do have a question, please ask. Um, you're free to come up here and speak into the microphone, and we'll, we'll set aside a you know, few chairs for you to talk. So um, if you would like to share, please come up now. Um, and I was going to read this. Here are the guidelines for sharing at this meeting. If you'd like to share, please come up ahead of your turn and make a line by sitting in the assigned chairs up front. When it is your turn to share, please speak clearly into the mic so that everybody can hear you. For the sake of time, please ask just the question or have your share about your higher power or your lack of, of a higher power. Um, and... Uh, without going into too much detail about background information, like I did. <laughs> and in participation, we avoid topics that can lead to dissension or distraction. We also avoid explicit sexual descriptions and sexual abusive language. The emphasis is on honesty, recovery, and healing, how to apply the 12 steps and 12 traditions in our daily lives. No crosstalk pleas if someone feels another is getting too inappropriately explicit or or is focusing excessively on the problem rather than the solution, they may so signify by quietly raising their hand. Although this is an anonymous meeting, please remember that anonymity does not mean legal confidentiality. Please do not share any felony which you have not been adjudicated, else we will be required to inform law officials to protect the injured. Please be mindful of what you share to not break your own or another member's anonymity. Okay, and I'll keep time, so please join us. For those of you who would like to share. You don't want to hear more of us, do you? <laughs> okay, we'll go down to four years and three years. Okay. Who would like to share? Come on up. I just 
so I like to hear myself talk. I'm Brian. I'm sexaholic. Hey, Brian. Uh, by the grace of God, I've been sober one day at a time since July 18th of 2008. And thanks, Craig, and thanks, Mike. Um, um, you know, God sometimes speaks to me outside of meetings, and I had a, a second-step experience of that, and I, I try to briefly share. I grew up in a religious tradition and then switched, and I've switched another to another religious tradition, and I thought I understood God very, very well. And I had all these beliefs, you know, God is omniscient, God is all these, all these, you know, the things, the memorized, memorized things about God. And I was reading an exercise book, and I was doing my second step at the time, and I read an exercise book, and it talked about overcoming this reluctance to start exercising, and I never actually started exercising. But he said, he said something that really struck me. He said, we have, we have beliefs that we're not aware of. We have beliefs, and you find those beliefs by finding out what you behave, how you behave. And he says, and so if you have a reluctance to exercise, there's a self-limiting belief there, and you got to, you got to reverse that belief. And, and I go, that sounds kind of second steppy. And then, I started watching that as I was doing my second step, and I realized that um, my God was a judgmental God, had a clipboard, and he was making check marks every time, every time I lusted, every time I acted out, every time I lied. And I was just scrambling, trying to put check marks on the good side of the ledger. That was who my God was. And I discovered that by watching how I behaved. And so then I, through the second step in this process, I adopted a God who just loved me regardless and wanted to help there and was there for me. And um, and so that was an instance of second-step experience of God talking to me outside of a meeting. Thanks. Thank you. My name is Dave, sexaholic. This Friday date is October 14th, 2012. Um, I heard this on a, a CD that I listened to once, that step one is the, the realization of my powerlessness. Step two is a realization that there's a solution to my powerlessness. And step three is is the actual decision to do something about it. Um, for me, uh, you know, I, I went through a very traumatic experience in my life where my daughter almost got killed and uh, that that's one talk about being powerless and, and and realizing it that that really came home for me that day and uh um and I turned to God and 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 I realized that you know I had no control over that situation you know you I I prayed my I prayed my my, my heart out that, you know the doctors were doing what they needed to do and um but, you know, I turned to God, and all I could do at that point was just, you know, open my hands and say, Thy will not mine be done. And at that point, I realized that it wasn't just a, a belief in God, it was this trust in God. That uh, the only way I could I, I could live life on life's terms is to finally, uh, like they say, get in the wheelbarrow and let God push me across the tightrope and just trust Him. You know, all my life, I, I've always believed in a God. You know, I've always had a faith in a God. Um, but it wasn't a God that I could actually trust. And this program really helped me realize who this God in my life really was. Uh, it was not only a God that I could believe in, but it was finally a God that I could trust. Um, and so, you know, that's that's where I'm at today. Um, you know, my, my go-to surrender prayer and the third step is, you know, thy will not mine be done. When I find myself in restless, irritable, and discontented, it's, you know... 
my surrender to, to, to my higher power, thy will, not mine, be done. Because I realize through my experience that I can control nothing. I'm powerless over everything. And so I just have to surrender it all to God. Thank you. Thanks, Dave. I'm Bill Sexaholic uh, from Lincoln, Nebraska. Been in the program about 10 years. I appreciate that Mike was talking about uh, the meditation and how that helps you get in touch with your higher power. Um, I came into the program with, even though I was a minister's son, I didn't want to have anything to do with um, uh, religion or anything religious uh, because I had been abused by a minister when I was a kid. Um, but you guys suggested to me that uh, this is a spiritual program rather than a, a religious program. And uh, somebody said, why don't you watch for those times when God may be acting in your life, when something happens that uh, you had no control over that was better. Um, and I began watching for those God log moments, as somebody else told me. Um, I don't believe that I've gotten pushback from some guys that I've sponsored um, who said God doesn't change, you know. And that's I think that's true, you know. But our experience of God is unique to each of our each of our lives, you know. How God operates in my life is different because I have different needs than you do. And so when something like that happens, um, you know, somebody else suggested to me, just make a decision. Is it odd or is it God? And if it's God, then, um, you know, that is the God of your understanding, which I think is good. So that'll pass. Thank you. Hi, I'm Todd. Sexaholic. Hi, Todd. Um, I appreciate the topic. What I've found for me is is how important it is to exercise bringing God into all parts of my life. Right, like it says in the in the book to um, to take what we learn in recovery, not just to the what I call for myself the tip of the iceberg, which is my lust, my acting out but the rest of the iceberg below the water, which is all my other character flaws that kind of lead to that. And, and something happened to me just just uh, Christmas before Christmas that, that helped emphasize that and was kind of a God-wink moment for me. Uh, I've been working on a project for my daughter, and uh, long story short, ended up going to the, the hardware store to pick up some stuff for her, and it's 15 minutes one way. And, and I get there, and I've forgotten my wallet. <laughs> and it seems like a small thing maybe maybe uh, to some to me it was a, an, another uh, another opportunity for me to at least start going down the my normal uh, bad character flaws of beating myself up you know you stupid you know this now you're going to waste the time you know just putting myself in the dumpster and and uh, and but through the this what I've learned in this program, you know, I was able to surrender that, stop myself beating myself up and, and just say, okay, you know, it's, it's okay, you know, take a breath. And, uh, I didn't get a chance to, to do meditation and devotion this morning, so I'll use the, that, the half hour here to, to do that in the car while I'm driving and, and it'll be okay. And, uh, I uh, got in the car, turned on the the audio book I've been listening to, and uh, what's the the first thing that comes out of it? Uh, it talks about 
exactly that. Um, you know, that don't, you know, the, the worst thing you can do is beating yourself up. And the bottom line of the message there that I was hearing and that I heard, felt like I was hearing from God was, you have a good heart and God cares about your heart. And it was like confirmation from God in that moment. And I get those. I think God was, has been doing that in my life for a long time, but I actually see it now when I surrender to it, thanks to, uh, to learning this program. So that was, uh, that was a real God moment for me. So thanks. Thank you. Thanks for sharing. Hello, my name is Daniele. Um, I'm a sex addict. I've been in recovery for four years in another S fellowship. And uh, I do have a question for, for the panel, but before I'll, I'll talk a little bit about my experience with, uh, with the higher power. Um, I came from a religious background and, um, as I faced my, uh, addiction, uh, my God was a very punishing one. It was a very judgmental and, uh, um, it mainly brought me uh, more shame about um, who, what I was doing, and um, so it um, it wasn't a help at that time. And um, when I when I started my my program, um, as it was shared, I sort of like uh, started doing what others tell me to do, with, although I had no understanding whatsoever how this would kind of keep me sober. Being in a room with People I've never seen before, and they're a bunch of addicts, and just like me. Uh, but uh, despite my lack of understanding, something started to change, and I guess I believe in when I started to see the miracle and the uh, and um, changes in my life that I couldn't do by myself. And uh, and so the group, the program, started to manifest this higher power, which was different from my. God of understanding over my God of my upbringing, and um, so it came to the point that I had to reconcile those two, and uh, and I found some help, and uh, and I started to I came to the realization that that judgmental God of my religion uh, was actually there for me because I was one of those that needed because I wasn't perfect by far. And um, and God was there to help me because I was really in trouble, and and I saw that compassion. Um, so those two higher powers started to to come together. Uh, my challenge today, that's my my question, is I, I admire people who have that daily connection with the higher power, the prayer, the meditation. Um, I still struggle with that four years into the program. Um, my day starts, I go, I run, I become my heart power again. And so um, I look for uh, any advice or experience in how does it, how you bring it in your daily. Thank you. Thank you. Mike Sexaholic. Um, so two things there. Um, I'll get to your direct question, but I, I want to comment on your comment because uh, it, it, it was something else I, I didn't think to say. But um, there, there need be no conflict between anyone's 
religious practice or lack thereof and their participation in a 12-step fellowship. If, if there is a conflict, it's yours. It's not the programs and it's not your religions. So it, it's worth figuring out and working through, but um, there's no conflict. And that's really the title of this talk, A God of Our Understanding. Why A God of, of Our Understanding? And uh, that's, I think, it's back to Lieutenant Mike L. from from my South Side meeting 30 years ago who used to pound his fist on the table, like I said at the beginning when he recited how it works and said, or God as we don't understand him. God's way bigger than any of our understanding. And um, so some people uh, find in the program a replacement for their religion and they don't go back to their religion. Other people experiment with other religions. Some people return to the, the religion of their childhood with a new understanding. Um, all of that's fine. Um, you know, the big book uh, says someplace, be quick to see where religious people are right. Sometimes in the program we're too quick to see where they're wrong. And we may have had a bad experience, which is very real and needs to be dealt with, uh, like this last gentleman talked about, but we assume that experience is normative. It might have even led us here, which is great, but if we're still telling that same story 30 years later and we've never taken a second look at it, then maybe the problem is not in the religion or anything other than our own inability to keep growing and changing, whether it's in the program, whether it's in your religion, whether it's in your attitude toward a higher power or toward religion in general. And that's what I've had to do is keep growing, keep changing. I've reconnected. I never left the religion of my faith, but I've reconnected, uh, the religion of my childhood, excuse me, but I've reconnected with it uh, the more I've got sober, the more I've been able to work through things and see things in a different light. So I would just encourage uh, that open-mindedness and willingness in that area of our, our recovery as well as any other. Uh, the specific question, uh, to me, it's, a, it's really a matter of practice. If I, keep doing, if I keep trying to spend some time with my higher power every day, then it's going to get better just because I did it. And if I spend a lot of time judging how well I'm doing, I mean, you know, formal meditation where you sit down in total quiet and all that, I've been sober 33 years. I stink at that. I'm terrible at that. But almost every day I go walk three miles. And at least a part of that three miles, I'm praying. Sometimes I pray a formal prayer. Other times I'm just praying for people who are sick. Other times I'm praying for family and friends of people who are sick. I do that a lot because I, I feel so powerless. And, you know, when you get older, I'm 60 now. You know, I was in my 20s when I got into this operation and something happened and now I'm 60. And, and you know, every time I turn around, somebody's got cancer. Every, I mean, every time I turn around. So right now i got three or four people uh, who have cancer that I'm praying for. And I'm praying for their family. Because what else can I do? I'm not a cancer surgeon. I'm not a cancer doctor. You know what I mean? I, I, there's not, what else can I do? So I, I just pray, God, I don't know what your will is. And I have no problem telling God what I think the right answer is. My answer is, God, I think all these people should live a long time. I'm for cure. Just, just in case you're curious, Lord. It's your program. It's your operation. I'm going to go with whatever you go with. But I don't want you to be confused about the purpose of my prayer. I'm for let's get this damn thing fixed. Your will, not mine, be done. And I'm totally okay with that prayer. I love that prayer. Um, 
So I spend a lot of time. I say a lot of time. I don't. It's not like I'm doing it for three hours. But almost every day, you know, some days I forget. But almost every day, I try to pray for people who are ill and their families and friends because uh, I've just seen so many people suffer through many diseases. But it seems like cancer is the one that just seems to be popping up all over the place in the last five or six years of my life. Um, you know. Uh, I pray every single week when I'm at church on Sunday, and the list has gotten large. I pray for every single person who has died, who's import, who was important to me in my life, starting with my parents and my grandparents through... You know, I just had another cousin die while, while I was here. It's like, they're dropping like flies. You know, I have, I have 31 first cousins, and in the last three years, four of them have died, you know. And... Uh, so, you know, I, I pray every Sunday, I, I pray for, it's up to about 80 people now. I just, I just pray. I don't know if it does any good for anybody, but I know it does some good for me because I remember them with fondness and love, and I think that makes me a better person. And a number of those people, nine of those 80 people, are SA members who've died. That I, you know, so I'm, I'm trying in my prayer to keep my focus. Yeah, I pray for my stuff too, you know. Help me be a better person. Help me not be so self-centered. But I also try to keep my prayer focused on others, um, and particularly others for whom I can do very little but pray. And that certainly includes those who are dead and those who are ill. Um, so, uh, so to back to the question of, of you know how do how do I get connected with God? I just practice it. I just I just do it, and I try not to worry too much about how well I'm doing at it. You know, um, I was told that when I first got sober again uh, and again and again uh, that I had to get on my knees every morning, get out of bed and get out on my knees every morning. Don't even go to the bathroom first. Get on your knees and pray and ask God to have a good day. Can I have a good day? Let your will, not mine, be done. And um, it didn't happen because I didn't, I didn't want it to happen. I didn't, uh, I asked for direction, but I never followed it because my will is much, much, much too strong. Um, and then when I started to get these miracles in my life, um, not just my kids, but a lot of other things that had happened to me, I started to believe that maybe I should keep doing that anyway. And they say, I don't, I don't think it's in the big book, but I've heard it many times that keep praying, keep praying, and when it's not working, keep praying. Um, why, why do I need a God of my understanding? Because the God that I used to understand didn't work for me. And when I get people that, you know, when people come to me in the fellowship, uh, newcomers in particular, but even my sponsees, and say, you know, I went to my priest or I went to the church and, um, and we talked about that, that topic, um, I still act it out. I don't know why. Um, my answer has always been, is I don't have an answer for why. My why is, the fact is, I'm a sexaholic. That's my why. And there's a lot of new people that come into our fellowships, and they don't understand why they're there. Um, and it really doesn't matter. They're there because they got caught, pretty much. But, but it really doesn't matter why. It matters that that's what you are. And I was grateful for the day that I found out that I was, okay, when I look back at it, because... 
I would never be in the situation that I'm in today, which is very happy, joyous, and free, if I didn't have that day that I got caught. Um, so that's really important to me. I just wanted to read something before we, um, if, unless there's somebody else that would like to share something. Go ahead. Hi, I'm Steve Sexholic. Hey, Steve. Uh, sobriety date, uh, 8816. And <clears throat> I think for me, the, the title of this is a misnomer because I'm more of the god of my misunderstanding. So for me, it has to be god of my experience, um, not understanding because I can't, I've, I've finally gotten to the point where I've stopped trying to understand what my higher power is instead of just trust and faith. Trust is one of my big um, character defects. And it's through working the steps that a lot of these blockages have started to be removed in order to have that experience. Um, and I very clearly remember the day where I saw that shift in change of um, that I felt like I could really believe in a higher power. I was driving down the highway and saw a... Um, a bumper sticker that said, God is dead, God is dead, is what it said. My first immediate reaction was, well, that's BS. And it, I, I think I surprised myself with that thought. I, I still don't know where that came from that, you know, that that, that, that was total BS. And, um, cause I'm, the chapter to the agnostics in the big book is one of my favorite, cause that's exactly where I was when I came in. And I spent a lot of time trying to, understand what a higher power was and i think that really prevented me from from getting to that to that god of my experience level which i'm i'm grateful for today thanks thanks we'll take one more here uh hey mike h uh recovering sexaholic um sexually sober since april 19 2004 Hey guys, um, so I've, I'm working with a new sponsee. It's been a while since I've sponsored someone, but I'm working with a guy right now. And, uh, I've had a, I've had an HP experience myself. Um, it wasn't the Bill W flash of light. Um, it was, it was a slower, uh, developing thing over the years that I've been in the program. This guy I'm working with, he's definitely admits he's powerless. We're just about done with his first step. But he's really struggling with um, a God of his own understanding. And uh, he was raised a Catholic um, in a very oppressive household um, and has really resisted, uh, you know, that. Um, I'm, I've gone through my discovery and my connection with an HP and my experience, um, but I'm looking for some guidance, some leading questions, some uh, exploration that we can do together uh, to work better with this guy. So thanks. Thanks, Mike. Sexaholic. Great question. Um, the, the good news is Mike's in Mike's in my group in Chicago, so we'll we'll, we'll start this, but we can always continue it. Uh, uh, I. I, I I'm just trying to imagine if I was sponsoring this guy, what I might say to him, and I, and I suppose I might I might ask him, uh, uh, are you are you open to the possibility that 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 this group could at least temporarily, till we figure the God thing out, be a power greater than yourself that you might start to trust? 
And if he says no to that, okay, <laughs> then, like I said, we're going to have to talk. But my guess is he'll probably be okay with it. And Because uh, I think that's where a lot of people start. And, and the last guy talked about experience instead of understanding. And, I, and I, I think there's something to be said for both experience and understanding. But at the beginning, I do think experience is more important than understanding. And so... Uh, especially if he was raised, as you say, in, op in an oppressive home, uh, and if God, if the word God at least was part of that oppression, um, then uh, not that I necessarily would shy away from her to be afraid of the word, but I think what I would probably talk about is is the group, and that in this group, you can believe or not believe whatever you want or don't want. We don't care. What we care about is trying to help you get sober and stay sober. And our experience is you have to believe in something other than yourself, something bigger than yourself. And if right now the group is what works for you, then let's let's talk about how this group can be of use and a service to you to get you sober. And I assume if you're almost done with step one, he probably is sober, uh, and, and, and help you stay that way. And, uh, and then, you know, that can be, that can, to me, that's a fine step too. And that can lead you right into step through. Are you willing to turn your will and your life over to the care of this group? You know, not that the group's perfect. Not that the group's omniscient. God knows we're neither. But we do have a lot of sobriety. You know, with some guys, if, if they're real concrete, I'll just sit, sit with them and say, let's add up how many years of sobriety are in this room. And in our group, it's probably, I don't know, a hundred something years, right? And say, so maybe somewhere in there you can find some, some faith, some trust. Cause to me it's really about trust. Can I trust somebody other than nobody or just myself? And, and that can be really hard if you've come from a, a, a really tough situation. And so baby steps, I think, is probably, at least in my thought, the, the best way to go. Okay, we're out of time. Um, in conclusion, anything you've heard at this meeting is strictly the opinion? of the individual participants, the principles of SA, are found in our 12 steps and 12 petitions, traditions. Remember that we never identify ourselves publicly with SA in the press, radio, TV, or films. Neither does anyone speak for SA. This is an anonymous program. Please keep the name, address, and phone number of anyone you meet or learn about in SA to yourself, the shares you have heard. We're, we're told in confidence, please do not repeat what you have heard about another member to anyone who has not actually here at this meeting at the time that it was shared. Please, what we say here, let it stay here when we leave here. Here, here. And let's close with the third step prayer. If we can all get up and form a circle quickly. like to thank you for listening to this episode of The Daily Reprieve, the best source for experience, strength, and hope for SA members. Please subscribe to this podcast to be alerted of new episodes. Please show your support by donating to The Daily Reprieve by going to donate.thedailyreprieve.com and choosing either monthly donations or a one-time donation by clicking Donate Now. Thank you for listening and stay tuned for the next episode of The Daily Reprieve.